next installment in our series on David. Um, I can't find my bulletin cover here right now, but I think you have one, and there it is, okay? And it has a picture of uh, the statue of David, and under that it says, David, a man after God's own heart. We've been looking in, looking during the Sundays in July and now the first few Sundays in August at why the Bible says that. Why is David described as a man after God's own heart? Some of it we discovered that when, like, when he fought Goliath in that epic battle, it's because he was a man of courageous faith. Well, that was David's greatest success. Today you're going to hear about David's greatest failure. As a leader, as a husband, as a follower of God, he had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, tried to cover it up, led to all sorts of sin. And today you're going to, you and I can discover together how David dealt with that sin and how he confessed it. And even in those situations, even in how he dealt with his sin, he was a man after God's own heart. So today we're going to be talking about sin and confession, and it's why we've asked this to be a PG-13 service, is just because this is an adult subject matter. But it's something that we need to hear desperately in our society, uh, because we struggle with sexual temptation all the time. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you that we have uh, the opportunity to study your word. We can study it together at Pike Road and at Cloverdale and at Wetumpka and here. And I pray, Lord, you will bless our conversation. We thank you that uh, you've given us instructions on how to live. And Lord, even on how to confess our sin when we blow it. And today I pray that we will learn from David. Thank you, Lord, for his example, both good and bad. Draw us closer to you. And Lord, move me out of the way and say whatever you want said to us today about sin and confession from the story of David and Bathsheba. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, it's real important for us to understand that uh, David had an affair with Bathsheba, the beautiful wife of one of his men. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blank there in point one or all the rest of the outline, just raise your hand or usher will be glad to pass a pen to you. But David had an affair with Bathsheba, the beautiful wife of one of his men. David, if you have not been with us, didn't become king easily over Israel. His father-in-law, Saul, was the first king, and he became insanely jealous of David when God informed him that, uh, informed Saul that Saul wasn't going the right way, wasn't listening to God's commands and obeying him. He said, I'm going to put somebody else in charge who will obey me. And when Saul figured out who it was, that it was David because God was blessing him, then he set out to kill David. However, eventually Saul died in battle, and uh, after that, David did become king. He established his kingdom, the capital city in Jerusalem, which is why to this day it's called the City of David. And uh, David uh, did everything the first part of his life up until the event today under what could have been just like a blessed or almost a charmed type of atmosphere where everything he did was just blessed. But then he made a terrible error in judgment and committed a great sin, and, it, and he paid dearly for it the rest of his life. And that all came back to this affair. Here's what happened. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, that was his commanding general, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. Rabbah was the capital city of Ammon. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. The palace was the tallest building in Jerusalem. Most of the people lived in one-story, simple houses that would have had some privacy screening around the roof area. They could go up on the roof and use it as a um, kind of a deck or a patio, if you will, or things as a place of privacy. And she would have certainly been screened off from people on the street, but she was in full view of David, 
and David lingered and watched her take a bath. <clears throat> he sent someone out. He sent someone to find out who she was. And if you'd underline the word sent, he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, well, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Eliam was one of David's men, had been for a long time. And Uriah, her husband, was one of David's men currently serving in his army. And so this was a very complicated and tricky situation if David was going to pursue anything here. But that didn't stop him. In fact, Nick goes on to say that then David sent messengers to get her. And if you underline the word sent. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. A whole lot of sending going on. But David sent to find out who she was, and then he sent some people to get her. And one of the things I want us to understand is we live in a day when people refuse to take responsibility for sinful choices, including our choices when it comes to our sexuality, and we can blame our genetics, and we can blame our parents, and we can blame our friends, we can blame the culture, and all these things. But David didn't have anyone to blame but himself. He sent for her. He sent to find out who she was, and then he sent to, get, to go get her. And it just won't do to say like we do so much today. Well, I couldn't help myself. I mean, I had to sin. It was just there. Like sexual sin is something like a mud puddle you fall into. I'm walking along one day and all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm in sin. I mean, who knew? Come on now. When you and I click, on, if we click on a dirty website, it's our responsibility to not click there. If we're having lunch with someone who's a, spouse of a wife of another man or a husband of a, uh, another gal. We have no business having a private lunch with them. That was a decision we made. They could have invited us and we could have said no. Well, yeah, but this is someone high up in the company. Well, you still can say no. David could have said no when he sent the guy. Could have said no before he ever sent him. As soon as he found out it was the wife of one of his men and the daughter of another one of his men. He could, oh man, I'm not having anything to do with that. Could have called it off right there. But then he sent to get her to the palace. And while they were gone getting her, he could have stopped them when they showed up. He could have sent her home. He could have sent her home. But he made a choice. And as you'll see, his choice brought about terrible consequences. And that's why there's a life application for you and me. This is straight out of 1 Corinthians 6.18. Run from sexual sin. Would you read that with me, please? Run from sexual sin. One more time. Run from sexual sin. Did some linguistic studies in the original language. It means run from sexual sin. <laughs> Does not mean linger, loiter, ponder it, talk about it and think about how well you can handle it. And other people who aren't as strong in character, you couldn't handle this. And it's okay now because the Bible was written a long time ago. These things aren't sins for us anymore. We've evolved now. Our positions have evolved on adultery and homosexuality and immorality. Our opinions have all evolved. We're no longer troubled by jealousy. We're no longer troubled by murder when people commit things in a jealous rage. Those things never happen anymore. Unless, of course, you watch daytime television and they happen all the time. In fact, you can watch Maury Povich and they have to have bouncers on the show to separate the people when they have the paternity test. And it's big TV. 
So before anybody tells me, well, John, yeah, back in the Bible times they had to talk about these things, but we don't need this anymore. What are you talking about? Sexual immorality is alive and well. Adultery is alive and well. Murder is alive and well. That's what's going to happen here in this story, and it still happens today. And I will tell you, it's frightening. You want a really sobering experience? Go visit a prison. First time I went and volunteered in a prison ministry, I came home and told my wife, the thing that shocked me the most was I sat down with a guy who had committed murder because his wife was involved in an adulterous affair, and he killed a man. He was having an affair with his wife, and I met him. And what shocked me the most was, for all the world, he looked just like one of us, except he's wearing a prison jumpsuit. And you might be thinking, all these people in for these crimes, they have the low criminal forehead, beady eyes, you know, the criminal look. You know what they look like? Us. And you know what they would tell you? Run from sexual sin. It'll lead you to places you would never imagine you would go. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. I could have put in a dozen more references. If you're thinking this is isolated, it's not. It's a big theme in the Bible. God knows how strong our sex drives are, and we have to learn to control them. We are not just animals driven by our appetites and our lusts. We are God's children, and he expects us to act like it. We must run from sexual sin. David did not. He was lazy. He never should have been there in the first place. Then he lingered and lusted after her, and then he acted upon his lust, and he had a choice, as do we. Point two, when David found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, he tried unsuccessfully to hide his sin. He was a fool to linger and lust after another man's wife. He was more of a fool to commit adultery once he knew that she was married. Now that he found out she was pregnant, now he tried to hide it. But you understand what a desperate situation he was in. This is in Old Testament times. The penalty for being a woman caught in the act of adultery was stoning to death, public stoning. And before they killed her, they'd say, by the way, who was the man whom you had an affair with? Oh, David. David? I mean, he's the chief law enforcement official as the king. And so he tried a massive cover-up. Two plans. Plan A, David decided he would deceive Uriah. He deceived him. Remember, I before E, except after C, as you're writing that in. Okay. David deceived Uriah. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab, Joab sent him to David. This was all under the pretense of David saying, hey, I know you guys are in battle, engaged there at Rabbah, and I want a first-hand account. Soldier, tell me what's happening at the front. So Uriah came home, and when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing, and then he told Uriah, thanks for the report, soldier. Go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace, but Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard, and when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and said, What's the matter? Why, don't you go home? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. 
David had taught him, hey, if you're a soldier, then you need to obey. This is God's army. We're the people of God. We're the people of Israel. And God has given us this land. It's a promised land. And they were obeying the commandments back to Deuteronomy, where it said a soldier in active duty there should not be engaged with his wife in any intimate relations. And David had taught Uriah this. He taught all his men this. They had strong discipline. That was one of the reasons they were such a formidable army. And here was one of his mighty soldiers, one of his leaders later on. We find out Uriah was a, a very accomplished soldier. And David's now telling him to go home and compromise his convictions because David had compromised his. And Uriah says, I'll do no such thing. My king. So David said, well, then stay here today. David told him, tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. And it's interesting, David was so blinded by sin that Uriah drunk was more honorable than David was sober. Because sin had blinded him. Remember we were talking about just a minute ago, hey, run from sexual sin. If you and I don't, sin blinds us and then it binds us. And don't think you and I are exceptions to the rule. It's not just in sexual sin, it's in all kinds of sin. This gets serious real fast. And you're about to see it get serious in David. Well, the deception didn't work, the cover-up wouldn't work. All he had to do was get Uriah to go home, spend one night with his wife. There was no DNA testing, there was no Mori Povich in those days. So you wouldn't know whose the baby was. You know, if you could just get him to go home and spend one night with his wife, Uriah had nothing doing. So David took it up a notch. Plan B, he murdered Uriah. And he did it in such a way that nobody could put the finger on him. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The, and the letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest and pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. When the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace she became one of his wives, and then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Mm. Gets even worse. Not only did David commit murder, first of all, he sent Uriah back with his own death warrant on a top secret mission. Hey, Uriah, take this to Joab, see that nobody else reads it. You can imagine Joab reading this going, You got this from the king? Okay, you're leading the next charge. And then when he was killed in battle, you can imagine David standing up at his funeral, bragging about what a great man Uriah was. And here was his poor widow carrying their child that hadn't even been born yet. And he was such a great king and so magnanimous and cared so much for his men that he would take this poor widow into his own house and she could become part of his harem. And wouldn't he be a great king? And the stench of his sin stunk all the way to high heaven. And God saw the whole thing. 
Life application for you and me in this, we must never allow sin to grow. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And you and I can never forget this. David started out with laziness. It led to lust, and for him, becoming a person who coveted his neighbor's wife, another man's wife, went from coveting to adultery, from adultery to lying in a cover-up, from lying to murder, and then to more lying. I have never met an alcoholic who said, you know, 20 years ago when I was 16, I set out in my life, I wanted to become a stumble-down drunk who lost his job and lost his family. That's why I've been drinking so hard. I was my goal in life. Nobody does that. What they didn't do is they didn't realize when sin started in their life, they didn't stop. If I could beg you now, as someone who meets with people years later, when a lot of the sins have borne fruit, Stop now. If we have started down the slippery slope of sin, the closer to the top that you put the brakes on, the easier it is to get back. Once you gain speed, oh my goodness, there's a cliff that's coming. Stop now. That's why this story is in the Bible. It's recorded for us. David's greatest successes are in the Bible for us, so we'll know about his successes David's greatest failure is in the Bible, so we will know about his failure. God does not want us to continue blindly on. And if you and I have chosen to get involved with another person's spouse, and if you and I are looking at pornography, or if you and I have entered into anything that's illicit, illicit and wrong, now's the time to stop. Stop now before it gets worse. David's a guy who wrote Psalm 119. He talks about how great God's commands are. And then he's breaking the commandment about adultery, the commandment about coveting, the commandment about lying, the commandment about murder. And he's just smashing them one right after the other, like throwing a rock at a stained glass window. And if you asked him years before, will you ever do that? He'd say, I'll never do that. But he let sin grow. And if you and I let it grow, sin will take us to places we never thought we'd be able to go. In the margin, somewhere, write this. We think of sin like a parking ticket. God thinks of sin like cancer. We think of it like a parking ticket. You know, you run in the store, you're in there for four minutes, you come back, there's a parking ticket. Where'd the pe- And they're gone already. I mean, I don't know where they hide, but they are good. The meter maids are amazing. And all of a sudden, you got this ticket, you got, it's 10 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever it is. You throw it in the glove compartment, drive on. Somebody talks about it in the morning, ah, I got a speeding, or I got a parking ticket, and you go, ah, that's okay, everybody gets one. But imagine if you're riding with a friend, and they're riding your car, and the glove box is open, and they pull out, not a speeding ticket, but a report from your doctor that says you have stage four melanoma. What's this? Ah, it's just a diagnosis from my dermatologist. It's just a little bit of melanoma, that's all. Dude, this is cancer. I mean, do you understand how serious this is? If you don't deal with this, this will spread to every part of your body. This will kill you. That's just like a parking ticket. Lots of people get bad diagnoses. And that's the way we treat sin. Ah, yeah, you know. 
I was talking to a friend of mine. She was so incredulous because she has lots of friends and they can't wait to see the movie Fifty Shades of Grey when it comes out. Christian women go to church, read their Bibles. Hey, what's a little mommy porn? Why should the men get all the good stuff? What's wrong with that? I can handle it. Yeah, David did great handling his situation. Look, if the devil can take a man like David and turn his heart against God, it could happen to you and me too. I just want to warn us here, this isn't a speeding ticket or a parking ticket. This is cancer. And we better take this seriously. If, if we could just deal with this one sin, half of all the pastoral counseling that we deal with at Centerpoint would not be necessary. I cannot tell you how many people no longer can speak to their kids because of sexual sin. How many people who were deeply in love at one time now hate each other because of sexual sin. Unwanted pregnancy, venereal disease, abortion, murder. So please don't tell me, well, the Bible's out of date. It just doesn't know what we're talking about. God doesn't know what it's like anymore. We're in the 21st century now, John. You can't turn the clock back. Well, if the clock's right, turn it back. If the clock's at the wrong time, then set it to the right time. Turn it back now. And this is a terrible thing that we've allowed to happen in our culture. And you and I can't go in for that. And that's why this story is here. So this is all here as a warning for us. The story goes on. If you flip your outline over, you'll see point three. God exposed David's sin and showed him the consequences of his actions. Remember I told you it stunk to high heaven. God saw the whole thing. It's a year later now. The child has been born. And one day, David's sitting in court, as a king would, receiving visitors and ruling from his throne. And in walks Nathan, who's a prophet. He says, I have a word from God for you. And David goes, well, let's hear it. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David, prophet, to tell David this story. If you'd underline the word sent, get to that in a minute. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. And the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he'd bought. And he raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate, drank from his own cup, cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vows, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Remember, David had grown up as a shepherd boy. He must repay four lambs to that poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you the king of Israel. I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. If that hadn't been enough, I'd have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. And from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. And this is what the Lord says, because of what you've done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and, I will go to, and he will go to bed with them in public view. 
You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. And that's exactly what happened. You go forward 20, 25 years, and one of David's sons, he had children by numerous wives. One of his sons slept with one of his daughters, committed incest. The brother of the daughter who was raped killed the other brother who had performed this terrible, terrible act. And later on, that son, Absalom, actually challenged for David's throne, attempted a coup. And when he captured Jerusalem, took a number of David's concubines up on the roof of the palace to make sure everybody knew that he was setting himself up as king instead of his father, he pitched a tent on the roof and slept with them in public. And every word that Nathan said came true. Remember when the story started, David sent people to find out about Bathsheba, and then he sent people to get her? Well, if you remember, I had you underline at the top of this paragraph, the Lord sent Nathan to David. You and I need to remember this. David was king of Israel. The Lord is the king of kings. And there's a life application for you and me in this. We must never think we can get away with sin. David did a lot of sending. Well, the Lord was going to do some sending of his own. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man will ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. Sin will blind us, and then sin will bind us. It had been a year, and David thought everything was gone. He thought he'd covered up everything. Oh, sure, there were rumors, and people would have been talking about it. But since he was king, nobody was saying anything officially. And then one day, like middle of the day, all of a sudden Nathan comes right in, court reporter recording the whole thing. And he says, God saw the whole thing between you and Bathsheba. God knows you murdered Uriah, her husband. God saw it all. Broad daylight in front of everybody part of the official record. It's part of the Bible. And we must never think that we can get away with sin. Even if others don't see, God always sees. I know a minister who had a... Uh, sometimes I talk with other pastors and we share stories of what God is doing and some things that are really sad. And another pastor I know had a man come to him who had been on a business trip and he was having a layover and overnight, and he did something he'd never done before. Took his ring off and went to a bar and was just having a, had some dinner and met a girl there, a stunningly beautiful stewardess, who was also having a layover. And the stewardess, after a few drinks, said, well, why don't you come up to my room? You know, he'd heard about such things on TV and in the movies, so he thought he'd go do it. And they had a one-night tryst and... He used a false name. Didn't know whether she did or not. But um, went home. Girl never got pregnant. Never got a sexually transmitted disease. His wife never found out about it. Got away with it. Yeah. What a stud. And you could find TV show after movie, after opinion, column, or blog where people celebrate this. Yeah, what a great guy. A real life James Bond type there. Cheating on his wife, nobody knew. 
Only when he came to see his pastor, he said, nobody found out about this, but every time I'm in with my wife, I see this other woman's face and I'm never alone. My conscience haunts me day and night. So he got away with it? He wouldn't say so. Now look, you and I are going to have to understand something. Our culture says, have no restraint on your appetite. If it feels good, do it. If you've got to break every vow, every conviction, if you've got to go against what the Bible says, go right ahead. This book has no control over you. Just enjoy life to the full. And the Bible says God is the one who made us and he has given us these restrictions for our own good and we must never think that we're going to get away with sin because the reason that God warns us is he doesn't want us to suffer those consequences. There's another life application for us there too. We must remember that our sins always impact others. David was doing this thing for himself, but it set in motion things that would impact his sons, his daughters, and his wives. Up until that time in his life, his life had just been blessed. And now there was pain and murder and intrigue. God had put his people there, and David had been his man, and he wanted them to be a demonstration that he would be their God and they would be his people. And now when David took things for himself, he was acting just like all the wicked kings around him who didn't know God at all. Can I remind all of us that God wants us to act like his children so the rest of the world can see what it's like to have a right relationship with him? He does not want us to copy the behavior of people who don't know him at all. Point four. The good news is David confessed his sin and God forgave him. Then David confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. The life application for you and me out of this is that we must confess our sins to God and surrender our lives completely to him. By the way, we know what David was thinking during that year. He wrote it down for us in Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And finally I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let the godly pray to you where there's still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. Look, if you and I are just starting down the slope, stop now. If we have slid all the way down the slope, come to God now. Return to him. He'll forgive you and me. He'll restore us. He'll wash us clean. David also wrote this in Psalm 51. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And that's why David is considered a man after God's own heart, even with all this sin and wickedness. Because he said, look, Lord, whatever happens in my life, just assure me of this, that I won't lose you. 
I mean, this is so different from his predecessor, Saul. When Saul was confronted with his sin, that he wouldn't obey, and that somebody more worthy than him would come along, Saul wasn't obsessed with getting right with God at all costs. He was, confessed, he was obsessed with getting rid of David, one of the consequences. I mean, that's what can happen in your life and mine, too. When I'm sinful, is my deepest desire to get rid of the sin and get right with God, or is my deepest desire to cover the guilt so no one will see? When the cat was out of the bag, David said, You're right, Nathan, I sinned. And then he went to the Lord and said, Lord, don't keep looking at my sins. Whatever I got to do, Lord, restore my relationship with you. And that's why he's a man after God's own heart, because he was a man after God's own heart. When you and I have been caught in sin, we realize we're at a place we never thought we'd be. The right answer is to return to God and say, oh, God, forgive me. Can I give you a travel tip? If you are driving late at night and you miss the right exit to get to the airport in Atlanta and get off on the wrong road, don't keep driving. You will get more lost. You can trust me on this one. Yeah, just keep driving. I'm sure it'll take you to the right spot sooner or later. And everybody go, what are you, nuts? You get lost, turn around, get back on the interstate, and then you can go the right direction. And that's just common sense. Hey, I know what I'll do. I'm in a bad relationship here that's gotten out of hand, and it's getting way too friendly now with a, another person's wife or another person's husband. Hey, let's just keep going. It'll turn out great. What? That's insane. Stop now. Turn around. Come back. And if you and I have gotten into sexual sin, we've got to stop now. It's never too late to come to God. He is waiting to forgive us. He wants us to experience forgiveness. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins. That's why he promised us the Holy Spirit. He said, if you come to me, not only will I forgive you, I'll place my spirit in you. I'll give you the desire to obey me and the power to change. So why would we delay? And why would we ever think that keeping on going is the best solution to our problems? Let me beg you to come to Jesus. Come to him, you'll find forgiveness and a brand new life. James 5.16 adds on this that we'd love to help you. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I just want to tell you, if you've been struggling with sin and you don't know if you can pray about this on your own, come pray with us. Schedule an appointment this week. Send us an email. We'll be glad to help you. We're all sinners. Forgiven by the grace of God. We're all fellow travelers along this journey, and we would love to help you. So let me summarize. David had an affair. It led him to unimaginable sin. We can learn from his example. We don't have to go all the way through this. If you have a chance to get off, get off the road now. Get back to where you need to be. Get back on the right path. Come to God. Confess your sins so your sins may be forgiven and you can be restored. If you need help, come talk to someone. We'd love to help you.
Will you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, I thank you for David. I thank you the Bible doesn't try to cover things up or whitewash things. I thank you that the Bible presents David, warts and all. And, Lord, I thank you that even when he was confronted with his sin, he still sought you. I pray that we will not seek our own way. I pray that we will repent of our sins and come to you. Oh God, I pray that if we are playing around with sin, looking at dirty pictures, telling dirty jokes, improper relationships, going against what we know your word says, I pray, Lord, you will put a deep conviction in us to run now, to flee. That's the desire of your heart. Pray it and say, God, give me the strength. I've got to get out of this now. This is going, Lord, you know. You see. Oh, God, I pray that you'll give us the strength to do what's right. I pray that you'll surround us with friends who will help us. And I pray, Lord, you will change us from the inside out. And we will not attempt to hide our sins from you. You see everything anyway. And now would you pray for someone else? Someone else is going the wrong way and they've taken the wrong road and they're gaining speed. Pray for someone you know who's in a bad relationship or addicted to pornography or just living a horrible lie. Pray for them right now and say, oh God, please wake them up. And Lord, if I can be Nathan in their life and speak truth to them, then give me the words to say. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your guidance. I thank you for your commandments. They are given to us to keep us from pain and to help us do what's right. And, oh, God, I just thank you for your forgiveness for when we don't do what's right. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. I thank you for new life and new hope in his name. I pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord.